Amen. Who we praise in God from Adam, from Abel, all the way to the last saint that is saved on the last day of human history. We're going to worship together. Open up your Bibles to chapter, I mean Deuteronomy chapter 8. As I continue to speak another lesson on being tested by the Lord. Uh, do we have the title? I mean, we don't have to put the title up here. Oh, it was up there right? Forgetting God. Okay. Nobody here, right? Nobody here is forgetting God? I want to see you self-incriminate yourself. All right? You can't take the fifth on this one. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse starting in verse 1. I will read all 20 verses, excuse me. <clears throat> the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember that the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God, disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you'll dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes by which he commanded you today. At least when you have eaten enough full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, 
that Deuteronomy with its curses do not scare us anymore. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the true servant. It's Jesus that secured every blessing of the good land of heaven eternal for us. And it was Jesus and his body on the cross that took every curse for our unfaithfulness. Jesus is the only covenant keeper. The rest of us just break covenant with you. We thank you that Jesus Christ, the true son, the second Adam, the true servant, the true Israel, is now our true savior, redeemer, and friend. Thank you that we can go into the Old Testament with all its commands and curses, Father God, and see just how beautiful and magnificent Christ was, that Christ is and Christ will always be. We thank you for this, God. But the text is still alive, Lord. It still encourages us. It still warns us. It still provokes us. It still challenges us, God. We're still your people that are trained not to live by bread alone, but every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Teach us, God, to feast on the word. Let our ears and our hearts always be attentive to that which the Spirit of God is speaking to us through the word of the living God. Bless this sermon we ask, God. And God, strengthen us, warn us, and even show us, yes, even bring it to the light where we might be actually forgetting you. In Jesus' name. The thought of any of us who are truly born again of the Holy Spirit, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, to forget God really seems to be ludicrous. I mean, who would here would stand up, you know, and say, I forget God all the time. We we, we wouldn't want to say that. I love the song we sang, though. Lord, our hearts are prone to wander. We're prone to wander. You know, you can be in the congregation, not miss a Sunday sermon, and you can be wandering. Do you know a minister could preach every Sunday faithfully and could be wandering? Forgetting. We're going to find out that this was not an Israelite thing. It's a human thing. It's human. No way, no how, not us. We'll never forget. We're going to be like Peter. We're willing to die with you. Until time and circumstance reveals what we're really like on the inside. What we're really like. But our text reveals things about the human nature that that aren't easily seen by us. We need the microscope of the word of God. The heart has failures that the mind, or heart has failures that haven't made it to the surface of our thinking yet. We're not conscious of certain things that we're all capable of falling into. But time, circumstances, and the perfect storms of life can bring it out. There's a perfect storm in this text. I don't know if you picked up on it. You know what it is? Prosperity. When you go prosper, don't forget. We wouldn't do that, would we? Be careful. The word of God's coming at us. It's coming at us. Historically, our story tonight finds the Israelites only months away, or maybe even weeks away, from finally going into the promised land that they were supposed to go into 40 years ago. But because their forefathers were unfaithful, they had to wander around for 40 years. Uh... But this generation now that Moses is talking to 
is a different generation. They were born in the desert. They've never seen a tree. They've never seen grass. They've never seen a babbling brook. They've never seen a river. They've never seen a hill, a pomegranate. They've never seen wheat. They've never seen barley. For 40 years, God has quarantined them in the wilderness and they lived on nothing but manna that came from heaven that would wake up every morning and there was this flaky, honey-like substance on the ground. And for 40 years, they collected it and they ate it. And the only place they can get water, they went to this flinty rock. And out of this flinty rock in the middle of a desert that followed them all around, everywhere they turned around, where this rock was there, Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 10, and the rock was who? The rock was Christ. Christ fed them supernaturally with water. They don't know what a river is. All they knew was having just enough. That's all they knew. They can only collect enough food for what? Do you remember what the text teaches us? But on Friday, they collected for two days for the Sabbath. Just enough. That's all they were allowed. If they tried to store it up, guess what it did? The worms came and the maggots came and ate it. Because God had to teach him that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeding out of the mouth of God. So when the mouth of God says, only collect it one day, guess what you do? That's it. When, the girl, when Jesus says, ask today for, ask today for daily bread, leave tomorrow to God. Leave tomorrow to God. Just enough. Supernaturally, God fed them for 40 years soup. Just enough. For 40 years, this new generation came up. And for 40 years, almost 40 years, their fathers died in the desert. They they, they went around maybe a 20 or 30 mile, just around and around and around. The corpses were everywhere. Showing unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness. A new generation came up. And they watched what happens to unfaithfulness. They watched what happened to their forefathers dying in the desert because of unfaithfulness. God would not allow them to go into a promised land. These are the children. These are the unfaithful generation. It's their children now. And it's them that are going to go into the land flowing with milk and honey because God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that your people shall go into the land and they shall prosper. But they're going to go in as faithful Israelites. Faithful, believing Israelites, not unfaithful. But now, leaving a desert, they've never seen a pomegranate. They've never seen olives. They've never seen wheat. They've never seen a river. They've never seen grass. And now they're going to go into a land that throws its very best at them. They're going to go into a land that houses are already there. They're going to dispossess the other nations. They're going to keep their homes. They're going to keep their farms. They're going to keep their rivers, their gardens, the fruit of the land. Listen to the word picture Moses uses to capture Just how incredible this is in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. He says this, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Think of the contrast. Think of being a nomad, growing up in the desert, knowing nothing but this this funny kind of manna from heaven and this flinty rock that followed them around where they got the water. Think about it. 
And now they're getting promised this. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks of water. They've never seen it. Of fountains and springs, never seen it. Flowing out of valleys and hills, never seen it. A land of wheat and barley, never seen it. Vines and fig trees, never saw it. Pomegranates, never saw it. Olive trees, never saw it. Honey, never tasted it. A land which you will eat bread without scarcity. They don't know anything but scarcity. That's all they got. One day's provision. That's it. For 40 years. Three hearts and a cot. That's all. That is it. They're going to be able to make their own weapons of war. Make their own things out of stones of iron. They can dig their own copper. Listen to what he says in verse 10. And you shall eat and be full. They don't even know what the word full means. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So you ask Brian, what's wrong with the picture? Who's asking that question? Excuse me? Okay. This is what's wrong. Let me give you an illustration. I'm going to read you an article from Fortune. Why so many lottery winners go broke. Listen to this. So you didn't win a share as Wednesday's record 1.6 billion Powerball lottery prize. But what would you do with it with all that cash if you did win? That's what Powerball three winning ticket holders in California, Tennessee, and Florida did. They're asking themselves right now. They shall share $1.6 billion prize, each becoming an instant sentiment millionaires. More than 80 others won a million dollars or more. More than 80 others. Everybody want to remember that? Nobody better here, right? We're too holy for that, aren't we? Okay. What all these folks do next, listen to this, will determine whether their windfalls improve their lives or leave them suffering. He goes on to say, listen to this. Indeed, 44% of those who have ever won large lottery prizes, 44% were broke within five years. You ready? According to a 2015 Camelot Group study, the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards says nearly a third declared bankruptcy. He goes on to say, meaning they were worse off than they were before they got rich. Other studies show that lottery winners frequently become estranged from their family and their friends and incur greater instances of depression, drug and alcohol abuse, divorce, suicide, more than the average American. And then he goes on to three other things you could do, but he closes with this last statement. If you want your prize to produce happiness, you ass- if you want your prize to produce the happiness you assume it will provide, assume, stop dreaming, start thinking about the realities of managing a fortune. That's what God is telling Israel. You don't know anything about plenty. All you know is scarcity. And now, by a promise I made to Abraham, your forefather, you're going to go into a land that's flowing. You're going to be filthy, rotten, rich. 
And the best way you can plan to manage the fortune, obey me. Don't forget it's the Lord your God who causes you to prosper. Don't forget me. And I know what everybody's saying here. I would never forget the Lord. We wouldn't be part of that 44%, would we? We really can manage our wealth perfectly. Oh, I'd give it to God. I love that one. Oh, if I hit, I'm going to give so much to God. Take what you got in your pocket now, give it to God. Don't worry about it. Prove it that way. Don't worry about what you're going to do when you get it. Do something with what you have. No, Pastor, not me. 44%. I wouldn't be part of that 44% who life fell apart and was worse off afterwards. But that's what our story is about tonight. It's good financial planning of a spiritual kind. We might not become bankrupt and depressed and lose our life like these people have lost their fortunes if we forget the Lord. But one thing we will lose, and it's not our eternal salvation. That is secure. But we will lose a thriving, living, dynamic, day-to-day, moment-moment relationship with Christ. I ask you now, could you have all... Everything in the world, would you forfeit it all for a thriving relationship with Christ? How do you answer that question? Would you give it all away so that you can wake up every morning and say, praise God. I've learned the secret of contentment. Whether rich or poor, I know what Paul teaches now. God is in all things. That's all that counts. He's my all and all. That's Christian religion. That's New Testament religion. Don't let that scare you. That's what God is bringing us to. Let me tell you something about this text. Depending on how you know God will depend on how you read Deuteronomy. What is cursing and its blessings. Understand, God was concerned for his people, just like this financial planet I was speaking in, in our article was concerned for people that win the lottery. You have to have a good uh, foresight on how you manage wealth. You have to know how to manage. When you are the man who discovers the pearl of great worth, you sell it all. You sell everything. Just to own it as Jesus teaches us in the parable. We often think that's Jesus saving it for us. And it could be. But one thing's for sure, that's what we do when we're saved. When you're saved and you've got to thrive in relationship with God, you say, God, take whatever is a distraction from a thriving, living, organic, daily, day-to-day Relationship with you. Let me manage this relationship. Let nothing come and make me bankrupt one day. Don't bless me with all gifts and all these talents. And one day they they steal away from my relationship. All of a sudden I don't have time for you no more. All of a sudden prayer. I used to praise. And I used to pray. And I used to, to read my Bible. And I used to fellowship. And I church. And I used to be a part of the church. And I'm too busy managing my own kingdom. And I forgot about God. This is not a threat from God. This is not about a 
cruel God wanting to pounce on his people for doing wrong and to discipline them for no reason. Not at all. This is about a God making sure that they don't make the mistake of putting the cart before the horse. They don't make the mistake of thinking that they themselves has prospered them and not as God that has gifted them to prosper because he loves them. Materialism in the Old Testament was an extension of God's covenant grace to them. He doesn't promise us that today, but he'll give us that. They never, they were never sealed with the Holy Spirit. They never had the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. They never had a deposit of the Holy Spirit. They, not one Old Testament could say, could say with you and me today, the hope of glory, Christ Jesus, not one Old Testament can, saint could possibly say to, to live his gain, to live his, is for Christ and to die his gain. Me and you can say that. We can say things the Old Testament saint cannot ever, ever say. We are more rich than any Old Testament saint. Listen to the way Jesus says it. Greater is he and the, the least in the kingdom of God than John the Baptist. The least Christian in 2,000 years is greater than John the Baptist. For what we know and what we have. The hope, the security, the peace, the contentment, the promises of what Christ has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us, is greater, far surpasses anything the Old Testament saint had. They had to learn the lesson that the Lord is the source of all blessings. They had to learn that lesson. He's behind the scenes. He causes prosperity through second agencies, second causes. It's a spiritual principle. God gives natural talents and gifts that we use them and over time we prosper from them. Our intellect. People are great with numbers. People are great with their hands. They're carpenters. People have creative ideas. People have great ambition. They have a great work ethic. They have prudence and saving. They have great role models to teach them this, etc., etc., etc. And you come to a place in your life, you're like, I'm doing good. Praise God. Don't forget, you're doing good because God caused you to do good. God caused you. This is all from God's hands. Listen to verses 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his father as it is to this day. This is how it works. God blesses with gifts and talents. And over time they become somewhat prosperous in our lives. Otherwise known as being independent and self-sufficient away from God. We can come to a place and think that I got myself here. I worked hard. This is this paycheck. This this inheritance, this, this blessing, it, it's mine. It's all mine. It's not any of it's yours. It's God's. Amen. All of it. Amen. Every nickel belongs to God. That's the danger. I love the way Moses says it. See to it that your heart does not say. It's in the heart. 
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise you. We got the out, we got all the externals, all the Christianese going. But our heart is lifted up. And we think we got the good job. We got the good this, we got the good that. We got because we did something. And we can forget. God can you retired today? You collecting a check? God gave it to you. But I worked hard. God gave you two legs to work hard for 40 years to get it. He gave it a creative genius and reminds you every morning, get up and go to work. God gave it to you. The government giving you anything in entitlements? God gave it to you. God is giving. Praise the Lord. It's a gift from God. God is providing for his people and other people. That's the danger. It's in our hearts. Slowly we take God for granted. And we start to justifying our slow departure for God. It begins with the heart. This independent, self-sufficient spirit begins. I got here. Uh, I'm going to take it easy. It reminds me of the gentleman that Jesus talks about. He got so rich, he says, you know, so what am I going to do with all my wheat? This is what I'll do. I'll tear down the old bonds. I'll build new bonds. I'll put all the wheat in there. And I'll say to my soul, soul. Take it easy, rest and relax a while. Enjoy your fortunes. And what does Jesus say? You fool. Do you not know that the Lord God will cause your soul tonight to come home? He forgot God. I've seen this happen so many times to good Christians. I am speaking first hand knowledge I've seen people prosper in their life come to church broken come to church destitute have nothing everything they receive was like manna from heaven every day God just seemed to feed them supernaturally as though a rock was following them around and feeding them water And time goes on and time goes on and stability comes into their life. A good stability, like a stability like they were living in the good land. And all of a sudden you see less of them. And less of them. And less of them. Sundays isn't important anymore. Prayer isn't important anymore. Bible study is not important anymore. Fellowshipping on a consistent basis with other Christians and giving back to the community. Guess what? That's not, it's not important anymore. You see, I've arrived in the promised land. Who needs God? Who needs God? It's a trap. It's in the sinful human heart. It's genetic. It's the forget God gene. It's what it is. I'm going to slowly forget God. Life in this world is good, so God gets eased out of it. But then you say, how, how might you wax this? First of all, the person who was supernaturally provided for when they first get saved and through the church and through the word and through the goodness of other Christians and so on and so forth, they grow strong spiritually and they become stable, as I just said. Now seems to be so busy that God is slowly pushed out to the side. Yes, they're still believing in God. It's powerful. They're still there, but their fellowship uh, and their Christian uh, fellowship is dried up. 
being part, a living dynamic part of the body of Christ, where they meet God out of the body of Christ that fed them supernaturally with fellowship and sometimes material things. All of a sudden, it's, we're independent. They don't realize that their new life in God where all its benefits of peace and hope and prosperity is not theirs. That too belongs to God. The new person, the new heart God gave me to enjoy life and enjoy people is not mine. It belongs to God. I got to give it back to people. It's about people. It's always about God's people. It's not about God did for me. Let me go run away and make a cameo appearance. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I have this one gentleman that has a step foot in the door. Every time, how you doing? I'm doing great, Pastor. I'm doing great. And he's quoting this and he's quoting that. But no part of an established fellowship. Never there. Doesn't bring anything into the storehouse. Doesn't bring his time, his talents, his gifts, his energies. Nothing. It's all for himself. All for himself. When God does a new work in your heart and makes you a new creation, you're the fruit for God, for others to feast on. For others to feast on. God can write a check. It's the intangibles of hope, peace and joy, kindness, goodness, self-control. God gives that to each other through each other. God uses maturity in a stable Christian life to help others in their Christian walk this is where we start to forget about God you would say but I didn't forget about God I still remember God I thank God every day but understand something that's what the Israelites did they did that but the Sabbath started getting watered down the Sabbath never got its genuine attention God only. They started worshiping other gods. They were like, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'll worship Jehovah and I'll go over here. The Canaanites got a couple of gods. I'll go worship them. Oh, here's his God, Baal. You bow down to him and more prosperity. I'll bow down to him. And, and, but they would still offer sacrifices to Jehovah. In their mind, they were not forgetting God. They were like, yeah, sure, I believe. I'm in. Me and Jehovah. Right on. But God wants undivided attention all the time. He deserves it, doesn't he? All of it. Is it all or nothing with God? Of course it is. Forgetfulness sets in. Complacency, apathy, lethargy sets in. And we start not following God to the commandment to love the Lord God with all your heart, strength, soul, your mind, and love your neighbor, Christian neighbor, and every other neighbor as yourself. We love the Lord God with all our heart, strength, and mind. We love our prosperity. And guess what? I love my time off. I love a little ease. Well, I deserve it, right? I'm going to take it easy. I deserve it. This is my time in life, that commercial. It's your time. 50 and over dating. This is your time. That's what I need. I need a motorcycle. And go across country and say, this is my time. Sunship who? Oh. They'll get by. Just gonna, I'm going to enjoy prosperity. This is my... Terry, come on. Let's go. This is our time. Let's go. Let's go down to Florida for a year. This is my time to sit back and do nothing. I miss you. Praise God. One, I miss you. 
Is that the best we can do here? Maybe I will go now. Now to hurt a guy. See, that's what the Israelites were doing. What happens to a New Testament Christian that all of a sudden is truly blessed by God because God loves to bless his children? We can slowly but surely slow up in our devotions to Christ, to his people, to his church, to his, to his command to gather and pray, to study the word of God, to, to witness, to be a witness, a constant witness and telling people that, you, that Christ came to save them. And all of a sudden we're not effective anymore for God because, well, we prospered so much. I'm so fat on God that I'm, I'm just not telling people about God no more. I lost the zeal. I lost the cutting edge. There's something about a starving man. I met a gentleman when I was 17 years old. He was probably in his mid-30s at the time, late-30s. Silent man. Tough, rough-looking type of guy. Very quiet. But nobody messed with him. Except this one guy. And this guy kept on harassing him. I was one of the for the Daily News back in the, the late 70s. And after many, many months of this, the next thing I saw was a knife out. He had the guy down on the ground. And had the poem he was going to kill. And when I was a kid, I was impressionable. But the guy liked me, and he liked my brother. Years later, he finally told me what happened. He goes, Brian, I was in a POW camp in Korea for two years. I beat other men to death for the cockroaches on the floor. You see, scarcity and starvation made him tough. Not getting fat. There's something where you, you, you could die at any moment makes you tough. And sometimes we get so compromised in our Christian faith and we're doing well, we don't get tough anymore. We lose it. When we first get saved, it's like we come out of the land of nothing into the land of everything. We want everybody to share it. But all of a sudden, we got so much of God, so much of Jesus, so much of prosperity, we forget what it's like to be lean. It's interesting because fat in the Bible means lazy, lethargic, and unspiritual. But to be lean for God, you can have everything God has given you, but we got to keep that sense of, I'm still part of the kingdom of God and not of this world. It's a fine line. You don't have to be rich to fall into this. All you have to do is have a little more than when you first came. And that's enough to start forgetting that you belong to a kingdom. And you're the ownership of a king who paid for you and purchased you for by his blood at Calvary. We got to forget Gene in us. It's in you, it's in me, it's in us. This is what our text is all about. I spoke on it conceptually today. I didn't do exposition. I went through the concepts of what Moses was saying to his people, how to be careful when you come into the land of milk and honey. I try to bridge the gap with us today, how we too as Christians can fall into the same forget gene. We can prosper by the gifts and talents God has given us, and we forget that we think that just giving just a little back to God is enough. And it's not enough. 
God wants all of you. He wants all of me. And I pray you leave here today knowing and remembering that God wants everything we are. Amen? Amen. So what's the application here? How do I apply this to my life? How do I deal with the forget gene in me? Well, first of all, we deal with, we come to God knowing we have it in us. That our hearts are prone to I can say that and sing that verse with two hands, a leg up in the air, because I know I am prone to wander. And wandering for a Christian is a horrible thing. Because it's looking at the cross. You never turn your back on the cross. You just get further and further and further away where it loses its effectiveness on your life. So how do we secure a non-forgetful relationship with God? It's all about enjoying God. It's, it, it, it's about never getting so caught up in the gift that we lose our relationship with the... Please, of course. That's what he's saying here. Moses saying, when you go into the land that God promised you and gives you all these gifts, remember he gave you the gifts. Don't forget the... Don't forget me. It's all about me. You're blessed because of me. And what's the greatest blessing? Me. God is. Simple as that. God's the great blessing. God, a simple, dynamic, thriving relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the mind of Christ. There is no condemnation. You're more than a conqueror. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. He who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. That is life. How do we secure it? How do I deal with the forgetful gene? How do I make sure that my relationship with God is not one-dimensional? Me and God alone. Here's one way that our text teaches us. I'll give you six. Six fast Always remember. Can you say always remember? The first four verses tell us never to forget what God has done. It was the Lord your God who fed you with manna from heaven. It was the Lord your God who gave you shoes that never wore out. It was the Lord your God who gave you... You know what he's saying? Just the necessities of life. You don't have to be pulled out of burning fires like Daniel's friends. You don't have to be pulled out of a lion's den like Daniel. He does that, he'll do that for us. Praise God. Just to remember that I wake up, I got a couple of dollars in my pocket. I got clothes on. Praise the Lord. God has met every necessity the way he said. If I seek him and his righteousness first, he'll all add all these necessities of life to me. Never forget. And then think about all the personal testimonies we have in this room. I know there's addiction that's been broken. Uh, uh, Whoremongering has been broken. Pride has been broken. Fears have been broken. Sinful habits have been broken. Living in darkness has been broken. All these things and more and more might have been broken besides just the necessity of life. Think about all the personal things that God has done in your life. If you never want to forget God, never forget what he's done. 
I can never pray. My prayer life doesn't even go into prayers and petitions and requests and supplications before I go through how grateful I am for what God has done since I was a child in my life. I get specific with God. I tell Him everything that comes to remembrance of what He's done to me. By the time I get to bring my supplications, I'm filled with tears of thanksgiving and gratitude just for being born again. Not to be living in darkness anymore. We read the newspapers and we complain. Understand something. They're living in darkness. They have no hope whatsoever at all. The world has no hope outside of Christ. And we sit here filled with hope. Are you grateful? Are you grateful? Second thing. For most people, you might not know what the book of Deuteronomy is. You know what it means? It means second law. And this is what was going on. For two years, before they went into the promised land, they were 60 miles away from Jericho in the desert, the plains of Moab, right next to the Dead Sea. And for the better part of two years, right up until the time Moses, I mean Joshua and Caleb went in, Moses preached to them. The faithfulness of God. Deuteronomy is not about curses. It is about living on the faithfulness of God. And for two years, Moses expounded on everything God has done from creation to new creation and expounded on the faithfulness of God. And he motivated them to live in obedience to God. Two things. Never forget what God has done. And always saturate saturate yourself with good New Testament preaching. Let God speak to us through the preaching of the word. Let's continually be blessed by the preaching of the word. His preaching was prophetic because it gave a warning of sinful propensities. He's telling them. You know these people he's telling them going to the land to be faithful? They were never unfaithful. He's telling them, the generation that was before you, don't make the same mistake. I can go into this text 3,500 years later, and I can go to those same people and tell you, don't make the same mistake they made. Same thing. Learn from other people's mistakes. That's what he's doing. He's expounding on the mistakes of their fathers. And he's saying, don't fall into it. Don't fall into it. Be careful of this. They saw greater signs and wonders than you and they fell into it. As a matter of fact, they were in the promised land. They tasted of its fruit. And they still fell into it. Preaching reveals the human heart that we still have the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. And Jesus says it comes in and does what? Chokes out the word of faith. Preaching is one of the greatest venues that the Holy Spirit speaks to us today. Timely messages. Three, know for certain God will test you as verse 5 says. God tests everybody. All Christian conversion comes with a built-in testing system. You will be, I will be, as a church, we will be tested. The word that comes forth is not for your friend who's not here today. Before I preach it to you, it's not for you. It's for... Me. The word is for you. It's for us. Preaching often reveals 
sinful propensities and wanderings that we don't see ourselves getting into. It's a warning. Four, New Testament prosperity, first and foremost, are the great intangibles of life, and that's peace with God the Father being justified by Jesus Christ. Joy, peace, hope, self-control, kindness, gentleness, humility, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, helping others, life eternal. All this is, this is the joy of a Christian's life. Nothing. If you're going to bless me, bless me. You want to give me things? That's wonderful. But it's people. People. God has made us rich with people. Be rich with people in your life. I'm telling you now, if you don't have people in your life, you are poor. Poor. It's about people. Be people rich. And you'll be rich with God forever. Five. As I already said. Whatever you have is from God. The clothes on your back. Whatever you have. Your portfolio. Bank accounts. The clothing. The house. The condo co-op that one room apartment what's that called studio for two thousand dollars a month in Bay Ridge it's God's it's all God's and this is great I got number six and I wrote nothing now okay we'll leave that for next week Father we thank you Lord we thank you for sounding the trumpet in our ear. Thank you for reminding us that there is part of us that's prone to wander if we're not careful. If we don't do true foresight, spiritual financial planning, we can get caught up with the 44% and we can forget about you, God. We really can. As we learned two weeks ago, that the love of money is a root of many, many evils. And by it, many have shipwrecked their faith. We really could, God. We can get so comfortable that we can truly forget about you, that we belong to a kingdom, that we're a member in a body with other members, and we're here to rely on each other, Father God, and we can turn this into one-dimensional Christianity. Forgive us, God, for not being rich with people. Forgive us, Father God, that it's, it's me and you and that's it. God, help us to break free from this, God. Help us to be rich with you and rich with others, God. And God, thank you for firing a warning shot over our starboard side to remind us, God, to bring us back on course. I pray if anybody in this church is wandering and don't even realize that they're slowly forgetting about God and putting themselves and other things first, God, call them back by your love. Call even right now. Call them back. If that's you today, just take a moment and just ask God to do a fresh work in your heart. That's all. That's all it is. It's about just repenting and confessing and asking God to do something fresh. That's it. No promises. Just ask God. We're saved by faith and we're changed by faith. It's as simple as that. Ask Him to do a fresh work. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.